There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution, a show dedicated to helping you actually live the life that you love. I'm your host, Amrit Sandhu, international speaker, global coach, and loving podcaster. As a gift for tuning into this podcast, I have something really special just for you. My premium short course, which can teach you how to meditate in just seven days. You can download it now at www.inspiredevolution.com forward slash learn. That's www.inspiredevolution.com forward slash learn. Learn how to meditate in just seven days. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this powerfully insightful conversation. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of the latest episodes launching every Monday designed to help you live the life you love and keep you inspired to evolve. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution, and it is a treat to be here today. We have with us Viet Simkin. Viet, how are you? I'm so good. It's good to be here. It is such a pleasure to have you here. For those tuning in to Viet for the first time, let me quickly do the honors. She's a world-renowned meditation leader. She's a musician, and she weaves the worlds of pop culture and spirituality together. She's known for teaching practical applications of ancient spiritual wisdom. Can you tell why she's here? <laughs> she's the author of the best-selling book, Don't Just Sit There. I love that title. And at the crux of it, really, if we dive deep into it, she's overcome adversity again and again. She lost her mother. She lost her father. She even lost her daughter. She's lived through poverty, and she's also triumphed over addictions to illicit substances such as heroin and cocaine. She's been sober for over eight years now. Fundamentally, she attributes her resilience to a daily practice of devotion to her higher self. Sister, thank you so much for doing this today. 
Thank you so much. I'm actually coming up this month as 12 years of sobriety. Whoa! <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, I, I, I don't even know really where to begin. I want to understand a little bit about, you know, this devotion to your higher self. I bet that was a journey of a lifetime and it didn't start in a day, but it all sort of came together in a moment, I'm sure somewhere as well. So tell me a little bit about where this where this whole thing started, where did you wake up and were like, oh, I'm a meditation teacher and a spirituality teacher. Where did that begin for you? Um, you know, it was later in life. My father was this awakened shaman guy. He was this very surreal character to grow up around. Mm. Um, and so it never occurred to me that I was him, you know, or that I was going to follow in his footsteps. That never, ever occurred to me. I just was like, I'm a musician, I'm a singer. I'm a rock and roller. I'm a rebel. <laughs> and then um, one day after getting sober and I was meditating and praying quite fervently every single day, just asking the universe to show me what it was it wanted me to do. And, and I, I promised this universe, said universe, like, I'll do whatever you say. Just tell me what to do. Like, if you tell me to be a carpenter, I'll do it. If you tell me to, you know, be an inventor, I'll do it. Just like, tell me what you want me to do. And I don't think I was as open-ended. I think I had a lot of ego wishing that it would be what I wanted it to be. Mm. Um, but, but I truly had no idea. And I was like on a spiritual level, very surrendered. And I just want to say that you asked originally the question, which is, you know, how did I turn to this, this feeling of wanting to live a life devoted to my soul or wanting a, a life that was devoted to this unknowable faction of reality. And what I found was that life was not satisfying to me. Life was unsatisfying. There was no amount of pleasure, no amount of acquisitions, no amount of success that would be enough. And I knew that because I was insatiable. And also I felt like um, the romance and this like very seductive thing that was calling me from this other side that didn't feel satisfying i felt mm. like there was actual nuggets of satisfaction to be attained and when i looked at life i don't know if you've ever thought about it but i would think like what is the purpose of all of this <laughs> I we every drop day. dead like 70 years later like what what are we doing like what is yeah. the point and i could not for the life of me come up with a point there was no point to any of it it was meaningless and there was some nostalgia and some soundtracks when you thought about it and we could all sit around weepy eyed about how sad and ephemeral it all is, but, and what, how, what a big mystery it is, but really the meaning was missing for me. And the only meaning I could find was one of spiritual questing and looking for the connection between this like astral plane and cosmic consciousness and understanding of reality through the soul or through the heart. And then one day, as I was meditating and praying, a voice came to me in my meditation and just said, you're a spiritual teacher. I was completely surprised. I was like, what? What are you talking about? And then I, you know, I marinated on that for a long time because I wasn't born a business person at all. Like I was raised by this awakened shaman who cared not at all about money. We lived in abject poverty and it was just like, you know, the meaning of the universe. Like it was, there was no money to mm. be had, no business to be had. Mm. And then when I had this vision, it took like another year for another voice to enter and say, hey, like 
I'm sorry to give you the notice, but not only are you a spiritual teacher, but you're like a famous and wealthy one. Mm. So you need to like, you need to do some shit. And I was just like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I don't even, you know, and so I had to like cold call people and come up with business cards and create a website, all very foreign to me. Like I grew up like a care bear and then I, (laughs) but I did it all. And I started doing events and art galleries and, um, and the next thing I knew my career kind of took off like a wildfire. But I think one of the, the key notes that I'm trying to make is that like, that was a huge, um, opposite action for me, you know, because to me, spirituality, which is something I had been studying my whole life, was not connected to the world of commerce. It was not connected to the world of business. It was not connected to the world of acquisitions or luxury. And when I was actually told who I was and what I was going to be bringing to the world, it was this. It was this merging of those two things. And so it pushed me to do all kinds of things I really had never done before. You know, and the other thing is when I reached out to people one by one and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a spiritual teacher now. Everyone was like, um, yeah, like we know that. Everyone knew who I was <laughs> before me. Everyone was like, obviously, Biet, you're like Yoda. You're like Yoda with tits, you know? And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay, you want to hire me? And they were like, yeah. <laughs> yes, I do want to hire you. I'll hire you. I love that little last little bit because it's so remarkable how other people can see us so clearly and yet we're so veiled from ourselves. Totally. Because you often say that there's this whole path of remembrance that, you know, a lot of your work is about reminding people um, about who they are. And I think it's, isn't it incredible just how other people are so, yeah, like it's just, it's so obvious to others what's going on over here. Whereas for you, it's like, oh, I was, what, really? Like, oh, and we go on these journeys and down these rabbit warrens and these rabbit holes to try and find out who we are and who we're not. And we end up doing these things, spending years and years doing, in, in sometimes in cases, doing things that don't really serve us um, just to turn around and say, hey, oh, actually I found myself. That was not me. I spent eight years figuring out what was not me. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, someone could have just told you that. <laughs> <laughs> if you had asked, <laughs> if you had the willingness to put yourself out there and be like, hey, what do you think I am? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I love that. Something really wise. <laughs> one of the questions I've got is, you know, you said life wasn't satisfying on one hand, and then that brought you to a place of surrender. Um, yeah, I, I, I just wanted to sort of t- like go back into that point there because I don't think from my personal experience that that's like a natural, like I imagine it would have been quite a bit of life not being what you wanted it to be for you to actually tip into a point. Cause people keep searching generally. It's like, this is not what it was. All right, let's look for the next thing. And this is not what I wanted, what I think it is. Okay. Let's look for the next thing. It's not what yeah. I think it is. All right, let's look for the next thing. But then you got to a point where, oh, like, well, I'm just going to surrender. Like, can you tell us a little bit about Cause surrender and trust are like two sides of the same coin, right? Can you tell us a little bit about the trust and the surrender there? Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, I mean, I feel like, you know, I, w- I went the path of self-absorbed drug addict, right? Like I just figured, well, if life isn't going to give me what I want and it's going to kill my whole family and like make my life miserable and keep me poor. And I was in victim mentality. And that was like my, you know, um, coping mechanism with how much pain I had been through as a child. Mm -hmm. And I, I fell into drug addiction and I, I discovered heroin and cocaine, which I just thought were phenomenal in terms of numbing any real, like I still had this innate desire to be, ambitious and to be successful and to be seen and to be useful in the world. But it was covered up by this numbing effect, right? Which Coke and heroin will have, especially Mm. heroin. It just wipes away all your desires for anything other than heroin, Mm. just cleans the plate. And so when I finally realized I was a heroin addict, which took like an act of providence because I I truly had no idea that I was a heroin addict, nor did I give a shit because I had no, I truly didn't believe in life. I thought life was a waste of time everyone was asleep in some matrix and I'm just going to blow a bunch of heroin up my nose because it's all meaningless. So fuck it, you know? Mm. And one day I remembered myself, you know, and it was through an act of divided attention, which I write about in my book. And I was just dividing my attention where I was floating up and seeing myself in third person and just asking what, what's really going on with me? What do I really look like from above? And when I got a bird's eye view of what I looked like, I was like, you're, you're a fucking junkie. Like you're going nowhere. You're never going to get married. You're never going to make any money. You'll never make any art that anyone will ever view. Your life will be a giant waste of time. Mm. And I could taste it. I could taste that that was true. Mm. And I really was clear because I was 29 at the time. My dad died when I was 28 and I was 29. So it was like a year after his death. And I remember just kind of fastened, you know, fantasizing, well, what will my life look like when I'm 40, which would have been, you know, 11 years later. Mm. And I could see that it was just going to be so much worse. And I was like, well, this isn't going to work. And I, I don't know how I had the agency at that moment. I do believe that it was an act of divinity. I can't explain it any other mm. way, but it was taken from me. I never, ever drank or used drugs ever again. After that time, I got sober in January and that was the end. Wow. And then from there, the prayer to just be used as a vessel for whatever is coming through. Well, you, you kind of have no choice if you get sober. Like for anyone who's getting sober or if you're listening to this and you're trying to get sober, there is no way to get sober in my experience without a surrender. Because, um, 
because the whole point of your drinking, if you're drinking and using, is really to cover up how much pain you're in and to like cover up what an asshole you are and to cover up how, hate, how much you hate everyone around you and you blame all of them for all your problems. So if you can't get clear on that and if you can't surrender your life to something bigger than you, something co- like in my eyes, cosmic, in, in, in slate, like how big is this mm. thing, right? If I only depend on me, like little Biette, who's self-absorbed, greedy, selfish, angry, moody. I mean, what a thing to depend on, to depend on me. Like, <laughs> fuck that. I'm done depending on me. And I've been done depending on me since the moment I surrendered. And that surrender, you know, of course, it creeps back in where I'll say, oh, maybe I should depend on me. I am kind of fabulous. And you know, I work with celebrities and I'm really pretty, you know, it's like, no, like as soon as that idea comes, I'm on my way into sadness, into depression, into futility, because the truth is I of myself have no energy. I of myself have no agency. And I may think that I'm the one who got me here, but I'm wrong if I mm. take that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for the way you put that. I am um, one of the realizations I um, had not so long ago was that, you know, we kind of, our humble little ego <laughs> thinks, you know, it's kind of focused and it's like, what's driving the, like, and it's only 5% of this little pie that is like this massive pie and 95% of it is just like great creation, which yeah. is just like kind of guiding you on this way. And you'd be like, oh, but, I, but I, I've got it. Look at me, look at me. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, surrenders. Uh, and for a long time, surrendering is, it really challenges you as well. Like is the concept of it seems so, especially I think with today's modern society, the idea of surrender is like, don't be a wimp. Yeah. You know, it's like, there's so much there's uh, it's yeah. And maybe it's the patriarch. I don't know. Um, but maybe like, it just feels like it's a, it's a wimpy thing to surrender. Um, and learning that how much courage it actually takes to surrender and holy shit, like your feet are to the fire when you're surrendering. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, it is. A, it's the biggest lie of our lifetime. And, and, the, and the thing is, it's not surrender is not a once in a lifetime thing. It's very rare that a person surrenders once mm. because the surrender is unfolding as you go and you're going to be faced again and again with new layers of self-absorption, new layers of entanglement with fighting structure. Like I've been reading Teresa of Avila recently and you know, she talks about how life is giving us uh, chaos, that mm. one, of the, one of the mansions of entering into the soul is chaos. And her explanation is that the chaos is a necessary ingredient for our awakening and our coming into contact with the soul. But as humans, we're so intolerant of chaos and so intolerant of that feeling of that we would need to surrender to, which is, I don't know what's happening. I don't know how I got here. I don't know what's coming next and I have no control. We cover it up with more chaos, our own Mm. self-designed chaos. We create new chaos. So we create drug addiction, food addiction, sex addiction, porn addiction. We create bad relationships. We create resentments towards our family. We create you know, losing the job, not having enough money, having too much money, like being confused, you know, fucking everyone, like whatever Mm. we come up with and we'll do it all in effort to stay away from the fire. The fire is there to burn us and is our gift. And all we do is we're like, oh, fuck that. 
I'm going to set a fire over here. At least I know how to control and manage that one because yeah, I, I know, started I've got, the st- I've got the stoke to this one. <laughs> yeah, I started this motherfucking fire. So I'm going to be over here. And God's or universe, I call it God, but I'm not religious, is like, you know, I already made a fire for you, you fucking asshole. And you're like, fuck you. I'll show you fire, bitch. You know, and like God's like, I'm kind of not intimidated by you. <laughs> <laughs> like I've got a cool haircut and I say fuck you really well. <laughs> like, no. uh, the 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 interesting thing about resistance, I'd love to explore your insights on resistance. Um, because you know, we're talking about surrender, and I have come to find that, or do you do you feel um that the more we resist our surrender? Potentially, there are people that probably spend a whole lifetime resisting surrender and never actually surrender. Um, do you think that the more we resist surrender, the more surrender will over time come in and there's probably a grace to surrendering earlier rather than later? There's an engineer talking. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, I don't think most people are faced with the question of surrender. I would say most people are so asleep to the proposition that that's not even on the menu because before I actually saw that I was a heroin addict before that I saw that I was wasting my life away and that I was asleep to my own destiny I had nothing there was no way to, of talking to me you could have said to me mm. well Biet, why don't you stop doing heroin and I would have been like why right so if you think about anybody that you know that's not interested in changing whatsoever Uh, Not that there's anything superior about change, FYI. I would just say that change is usually evidence of surrender because I have found that most of my spiritual awakening has come from opposite actions, right? Like, what do I want to do? Someone sends me a bunch of money Mm. or 20 people send me a bunch of money because I work for a living. So people send me chunks of money, right? So what do I want to do? I want to go spend my money. I want to go buy things and rent something and travel. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't want to sit down and put the numbers into a spreadsheet and then create a, like a reasonable plan. Hmm. I don't want to do that. No, no. I just want to throw it away on black caviar. You know what I mean? Because that is, that's not an opposite action, right? So we want to look at what do we want to do and what actually requires effort, right? I want to inhale an entire box of like cheap mac and cheese. I may want to do that, but the opposite action would be to slowly consume a beautiful meal of like a baked potato with some ghee and you know some lentils and a gorgeous salad. That requires effort. It requires opposite action. And this goes on and on. Look at your entire life. So if you think about anyone out there mm. who is not interested in surrender as we're speaking about, they're not interested in facing the discomfort and pain of actually doing this thing that's completely unnatural to them. Mm. Why? When they could just continue doing the same thing, like when you were stuck in your situation and day in, day out, like you were making the money, but you felt like a, like a hamster in the wheel, what would have been simplest for you would just be to keep going. Maybe go get some therapy, maybe get a little more, you know, alcoholic, but you, you could have just kept going that way. Mm. You know what I mean? But you got miserable enough 
the discomfort got so unbearable that you became willing to start questioning, well, what, what else is possible? Is there an alternative option to this? Mm. Most people never get there. So I don't think they're being confronted with surrender. I think they're not at a point of admission of their discomfort. Mm. Yeah, well, thank you so much for putting it that way. And uh, yeah, I, I look back and it is, a, yeah, people often say, oh, it must have been really traumatic. And I was like, actually, it was a blessing. <laughs> 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 and that's what I'm hearing in here as well. So yeah, thank you so much for that. And this, this concept of diving deeper into the opposites, let's, uh, I'd love to go there. So it first surfaced in this conversation, even when you were discussing like, okay, so, you know, spirituality and commerce, you know, it's like so many people tuning into this would be like, fuck that. <laughs> you know, like so many people immediately are triggered by that. Um, and just, I imagine potentially you were initially as well. And then learning to wade into that. I'd love to sort of understand the, the emotional compass that one has to sort of um, put together to then sort of drive into um, this nature of going towards the opposites. Well, it's admitting that you have no idea, you know, and asking, asking questions, right? Like if I had, I had beliefs that wealthy people were evil. I had beliefs that money was evil. I had beliefs that um, the, the disproportion of wealth in this world was evil, mm. that this world was evil, that people were evil, that we're inherently evil. Like those were all beliefs that I really held and I had to put them into question. I think it was interesting too, and I don't know if anyone can relate listening to this, but it was paralleled by a deep jealousy of people with more money than me. It was also paralleled by a deep yearning to have access to freedoms such as flying to the Maldives for a, for a two week vacation, or I had desires to own real estate. Now, how do you have contradictory desires to fly to the Maldives, own real estate, to wear luxury clothes, shop at Barney's when it still existed, whatever. And at the same time, believe that money is evil. People with money are evil. The world is evil. The disproportionate displacement of wealth is evil. If it's all so fucking evil, why am I still yearning for these things, right? And that contradiction within myself wasn't working. And so what I had to do was like bring the spiritual realm into the material. And I studied a lot of things about money. I studied things about business and money, which was very, again, opposite, an opposite action for someone like me. And I also had no money at the time. And so I had to come into a place of faith. I read a lot of books about law of attraction, which I'm sure you've heard of on this, you know, while you've been on this journey and probably talked to many experts, but I thought law of attraction was a giant bag of fucking dicks. Like I was like, as a poor person who grew up poor, like go fuck yourself. If I think that I'm wealthy, I'm just going to become wealthy. And ironically, everything about law of attraction ended up being true. The only reason it irritated me so much is because I just couldn't get through my own bullshit mm -hmm. enough to understand that I am actually 50% of what's going on on this planet in my understanding, my interpretation. And so if I want to sit around hating on, on rich people, shit, I ain't ever going to become one. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to be like, they're bad, I'm not going to become one. 
And then I was like, well, okay, fine. Let's say I never become one. The question then I asked myself was, am I more powerful and effective at creating change in the world as some, as someone who is resourced financially, Mm -hmm. or am I more effective as someone who isn't resourced financially? And that's a question for everyone to answer for themselves individually. Some people will come up with a different answer than I did. But for me, my answer was absolutely I am more useful if I have the resources. Mm. And I found you saying that there is no greater joy than being compensated for what you love doing the most. <laughs> no, that's a wonderful feeling, isn't it? It's so kind of surreal at first. You're like, am I, am, is this really happening? Like, it's a trip. <laughs> it's a total trip. I trick these people into doing this. Like I'm like laying by a pool and they're just, what? Like this is nuts. Mm, yeah. I feel the same way when it's uh yeah, just conversation for me. Whenever I'm in conversation, the fact that coaching and speaking and podcasting can build and build an income for a brother. is just a, it's, it's an absolute <laughs> mind trip. Um, and sometimes I even stop to reflect like, you know, uh, one of my favorite mental, um, playgrounds or mental models if you will is to sort of just pretend what happens if I'm like actually just not like reality is an illusion this whole conversation around Maya and maybe I am just uh plugged into a matrix somewhere or something um and I am just conjuring up reality isn't it a bit bizarre that it's 2021 and I get to have the opportunity to teach people meditation I get the opportunity to be a podcaster when podcasting wasn't a thing like I can create my own radio channel and all this sort of stuff now and it's like, isn't that all a bit too serendipitous? <laughs> like right? now meditation has become mainstream. It's where yoga was like 20, 30 years ago. And now there's this thing called podcasting. How convenient. Oh, really? <laughs> so convenient. <laughs> so I it's know. all, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I, I just find it incredible that there is the tools for us to do more and more of what we love um, in more and more of modern, modern day society. Yeah. So you mentioned that um, one of the the biggest problems is that we've forgotten who we are. You've obviously gone on a massive journey of um, remembering and coming back to yourself, but you also support people um, in finding their own way. I bet it's probably unique uh, to each individual in terms of what's kind of in their way. Are there some things that you see that are commonalities along that journey? Oh, yeah. Everyone's asleep in the same ways. And so it really isn't, um, it's interesting because it's like the hardest puzzle to figure out, Mm -hmm. but there's only like five puzzles. There's no, it's not like, wow, you're such an individual snowflake about, you know, and people love to think of themselves that way. They love to think, well, oh, you're not going to unriddle this yet because (laughs) check this out. If you've been, here's what happened to me. Mm. And then I, I hear what happened to them and it's like, yeah, it's individual to them. Their tragedy is so specific in the same way that my tragedy is so specific. But there's only one solution to that tragedy. And it really is the question of like, which way does one view a tragedy? Mm-hmm. If you continue to see tragedies as um, an adverse effect of life and an unfair uh, experience, then yeah, it's going to suck for you. You know, So it really mm-hmm. is about shifting and being willing to shift because it is kind of painful. You know, of course there's benefits to all tragedies. There's always benefits to all things. Mm -hmm. But I think that no matter who you are, if you've suffered, if you've suffered, 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 really suffered, it's hard to wake up and say, what if I don't 
have to look at that anymore as a bad thing? What if I asked myself the question of, what if this was all in, in favor of me becoming who I am, who I am meant to be? And what if it's all part of this gorgeous music? And, and you know, one interesting way of sharing this with your listeners is to think about music, right? Like some of the most beautiful parts of music are blue notes, which are half note. They're just not even, they're not on the scale, you know? So they're like, they're off. The reason that they're beautiful is because they're, they're kind of wrong. Like if, when Coltrane plays a blue note, it's not right. It's, it's wrong actually. And that's what makes it so heart-wrenching. Like I can't hear a blue note generally without starting to cry. It's so effective and you don't Mm -hmm. even realize what's happening to you. So if music, which is, you know, a mathematical construct of the cosmos that nothing to do with us is, is, and I believe we're made out of music, right? Mm -hmm. And then a blue note hits and we start to cry. All of us, we all start to cry when you're listening to the sound of music and like Fräulein Maria starts singing and she hits a blue note, everyone starts to cry. That's why it's a national treasure, that film. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And we are ourselves also woven. We have blue notes inside of our lives. And if our life wasn't that, what would we be? Like, if you think about Mozart, like he had a really fucking difficult life and then he dropped dead really young and some of his best work was written while dropping dead. Mm. Like that sucks. Can you imagine being like 28 and like dying of the plague or whatever the fuck he died from? Like, that's not fun. Mm. And so I just think when we are set up, we're just so committed to having everything look and feel so good. We don't want to be humiliated. We don't want to look bad. We don't want to be fat in any part of our body. We don't want to be poor at any time. We don't want to fucking hate our parents. We don't want to, you know, have issues with our kids. We just want it all to feel like vanilla ice cream and and (laughs) fucking cuddles. You know, it's just, that's not how this fucking planet was set up. Yeah. 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 It's interesting to hear you. And when you were sharing about trauma, yeah, one of the things I've been realizing is that the actual events aren't traumatic. It's our responses to them. And then also what I'm hearing from you is, yeah, that like the, it keeps circling back to this Rumi quote these days, but it's the crack is where the light gets in is kind of the way that he puts it. And I like, I've just been like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just, again, it's surfacing again in this conversation too. Yeah. I would, um, thank you so much for sharing that. And I would love to sort of explore more about, you know, the, you giving yourself permission to stand up and stand out the moment where you said, you know, like I've had this drop in that yeah, like I'm exploring the opposites and you know what, somehow I'm meant to be a spiritual teacher and I'm meant to be a wealthy one at that. And I'm going to do me. Um, and, or it's not even, I'm going to do me. It's the universe has put me here to do this, um, fundamentally. And so from there, yeah, the, the permission and the courage that it takes to do that still for the the little old self to, <laughs> to go along for the ride. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, it's just kind of really uncomfortable, isn't it? When you first start doing anything because uh, you're faced with a lot of polarization and you've lived a life where you've probably felt like you were a worthless piece of crap. Mm. And you've also felt like you were the most important person on the planet and you're so special and so much better than everyone else. So that kind of polarized experience of being superior to all and then also being super insecure and really smaller and, and less significant and worth less and worth 
less than everyone else around you starts to really come into the open and you have to start to start to address it. And I remember I would, I had to tell my story a lot when I was first, you know, rising up in my career. And I feel, I still tell it sometimes it just comes up, but there was a point when I was telling it again and again and again and again, oh, then my baby died and then my father died and then my mother died and then my house burned down. And it was just like this story. Hmm. Um, and it was archetypal. And I got to a point where I was free. Um, I understood that that story was not mine to tell. It was like mine to gift to the world because it was an opening for people to feel safe with me. Like I was like, okay, I'm going to tell you all this stuff that happened to me and then you're going to feel at ease and that is my gift to you as much as I may not want to talk about this as much it doesn't matter what I want to if there was a point when I didn't want to talk about the fact that I was poor I was still lying to everyone everyone thinks that I'm rich always has because I'm very well educated and I'm Jewish so forget it if you grow up in New York City and you're well educated not by school by the way I was well educated by my family played piano sang read you know, Freud when I was nine years old, not by school, by school, they hated me. They were like, this girl is crazy. We're just going to give her bees. So she stops talking to us because she's so insane. And, you know, that was school for me. I went to public school. They were like, she's nuts. We're going to have her like hand out hall passes because she's so infuriating. <sighs> so anyway, and there I was, and I'm, I'm poor, I'm from Queens, but people just assume, and they see a Jewish girl who's again, well-educated, well-spoken, and they're like, she's rich. And so I just let the lie sit. I'm like, well, if you think I'm rich, I'll just keep that going because I wanted to be rich so badly. So I had to come out of the closet about the fact that I was poor, the fact that I had been poor my whole life. I felt like I was coming out of, you know, I'm not gay, but I was coming out of my own special closets. Mm. And um, as I did this, of course, everyone that I grew up with who was friends of mine or family or whatever, had a bazillion issues with what was mm. happening. Oh, she's using this as a way to get famous. Oh, she's manipulating. Like I remember there was an article that came out about me and I don't remember exactly what it was, but I think it was in Forbes and it was all about how I was rags to riches. And I was like this girl who'd lost everything and had become the spiritual, they called me a guru, you know, which is a loaded term in it of itself. But everyone was like aren't you embarrassed about that piece i'm not talking about everyone like all my fans and mm. the hundreds of thousands of people that that article helped fuck those people but i'm talking about these people who like i grew up with who were like you're you're a lying sack of shit because you're you know whatever you're manipulating your truth to like whatever so for mm. anyone who's listening like i want to say that it's uncomfortable. If you're going to actually wake up and be useful in the world, you have to do things that are going to be very contradictory to the people with whom you grew up around. It's mm. very common that the people that you grew up around were taught the same things you were taught. And here's what they were taught. Money is evil. People with money are evil. Fame is evil. People with fame suffer greatly. You want to stay away from money and fame and success and blah, blah, blah. They've been taught that. So if you start to actually rise to those levels in your life, they're all going to freak out. And they're doing it because they genuinely are afraid for you. Hmm. They're not like, I mean, yeah, they're jealous and whatever, but I'm saying it's not out of malice. They're really doing it because they genuinely are like, I have been taught that that's bad. Challenges and their operating system. She's doing. Yeah, it's like, this cannot be right. And also the way that she's going about it, they can't also 
they can't put together that they truly want XYZ for themselves and that they would need to do all the, we've talked in this particular podcast about all the uncomfortable things you've got to do to get to this place mm. of admission and vulnerability and gross like truth telling on a public stage. Mm. These are things that people do not want to do. They don't want to look at themselves. They certainly don't want to talk about it at a TED talk. Mm. And so they see someone else doing this shit and they're like, no, 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 no. I'm not doing that. And neither is she. She cannot do that. Hmm. Yeah, and I think even one of the other fears that keeps a lot of, we, I, I remember like feeling it was keeping us in place was just the fear of losing your friends, <laughs> even just, you know, like, you know, that that's almost like a self-perpetuating circle in itself, because if it's like, if I change too much or if I evolve too much, then who's going to be around me anymore, you know, and uh, kind of that, that being alone, that fear is there as well. Um, And it's huge to, yeah, it's, it's been really healing for me to hear you talk about the archetype Um, because there's been um, teachers that I've watched share their stories from stage. Um, Not, uh, not a lot of them, but just enough to sort of make note in my head. And I've noticed that, you know, they were sharing their story of, let's say, cause I've got a story of, you know, I went through depression for six years and meditation completely reconstituted my life is the way that I share it. Um, and yeah, I watch people kind of sharing the story and some of them actually ended up taking their own life and people have then remarked that, oh, this person is just perpetuating their own story and they've actually fallen back into their own story. Uh, but hearing what you're sharing is like, you know, it is the archetype and it is actually, that is resolved. And it's just, you know, now it's an opportunity for me to share it with you so you can potentially be liberated from your own fears. Yeah. I mean, I think it's half that Mm. because I have been liberated on a level that is unusual on this planet, but Mm. it's also the other half is just life. Right. So, you know, I like to help people by being really honest about the fact that 50% of me is still in the bondage of the prison that is this life. And that prison is no longer my enemy. That prison and that suffering and that pain and that discomfort and what sometimes even looks like depression is actually just something that I get to be with today. Mm. But if I'm creating chaos so that I don't deal with it, if I'm creating extra pain, which I still do in, in my life in my own little ways, to divert myself from the pain that is just being given to me. Now, most of my life I spend like this. I just lean back. I lay down in the waters of the pain and I just allow the pain to be with me. I don't call it something that it's not. I don't say, oh, this is joy or, oh, this is so blissful. I literally just feel horrible. I just let myself feel so much pain. There is so much pain on this planet, so much pain in our bodies, so much pain in the nostalgia of our little lives, just the little capsule of the closest people to us and that that we are all gonna die. It's so painful. And so really being with that. But then the other part of my life, which I still haven't figured out yet, so I don't lie about it, is I see the pain and I'm like, get the fuck away from me. I'm not interested, I am overwhelmed. I've got work to do. I can't deal with this right now. And I'll go eat a sandwich or I'll, you know, watch something or I'll meditate or I'll do yoga or I'll fucking whatever. But none of it 
is that leaning back, laying down in the pain and just allowing it to be what it is, which is, I guess, where I am in my journey is learning more and more how to be tolerant of life as it actually is, which is painful. And I just want to bring in one last point, which is Jesus, who died on a cross, like, I think all of us have been fed this lie that once we find enlightenment, pain goes away. It's just gone. And the truth is, is that like, no, like, even once we're enlightened, being hung on a cross sucks balls. Like no one's like, this is awesome. He even says in the Bible, God, why have you forsaken me while he's hanging on the cross? Now, as someone who is a firm believer that Jesus was in fact an awakened man, I'm confident that he only had that thought for a few minutes and then was like, all right, pain, great. I'll surrender into it and fell into a, the, the waters of it after that. But he's human. We're human. So we have to have these moments where we're like, God, why have you forsaken me? And then we're like, oh, right, 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 pain, pain, right, 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 notes, notes. You know, it's like, takes time to kind of go through that waiting of the water. You know, it's not like one and done. You just wake up and you're like, I'm enlightened now. You know, here's my course. <laughs> Thank Sign you so up. Much. Yeah. Sure <laughs> 499. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but my, um, one of my teachers, she 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 puts it as a sitting in your shit. <laughs> she goes, you're just gonna sit in your shit sometimes. <laughs> you're just gonna sit there and sit there and sit in your shit. Um, yeah, there is so much in there in terms of just unpacking. Um, I guess the key thing that I am taking away from this episode overall is the openness and the vulnerability within which um, it takes to not be a victim. Yeah, which is kind of counterintuitive because when we kind of look at victim mentality, we sort of see that, you know, victims feel like they're all vulnerable and meek and and stuck. But actually, you know, it takes vulnerability and strength to not be the victim um, and just say, you know what, this is where the chips are falling and that's how they're falling and the the kind of strength that it takes um, to, to sort of stand there and sort of say life is happening for me is really what I'm hearing here, Biet. Yeah. Yeah, and we can't have that kind of strength all the time. I think that enlightenment to me and that experience that I have had with that white light after white light after white light experience has been that for me, true bliss has come from understanding that at the end of the journey, I don't become Obi-Wan Kenobi. I mean, for any Star Wars lovers, have you seen Star Wars? Yeah. Yeah, like I just really thought that I would turn blue, I'd be iridescent, I'd be seeking, <laughs> I would be only coming in in apparitions to share my wisdom. And what I have found is actually using Star Wars as a metaphor that I am actually all the characters in the movie, including C-3PO. And I think it was a really hard pill for me to swallow because I was like, no. I did not work this hard to become enlightened so that I could be C fucking 3PO part of the time. Mm. And what I found out was actually, you know, I mean, there's that old saying before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water after enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. I'm sure we've all heard that trope, but no one told me after enlightenment, sometimes C 3PO. No one. <laughs> no one sent me that memo. <laughs> So I was like, not clear on that. And so I'm here to share from my side, like, 
get ready. If you're walking this because you think you're going to become translucent and blue and only come down from the holy high heavens to share your wisdom, get ready for a big fucking aching, bloody, fear-laden, creepy, crazy, whiny surprise mm. that you are still human at the end of this. I'm sorry to tell you. <laughs> but once you can accept that, it's something strange starts to happen and it doesn't happen all at once. It takes time. But once you can get with the C3PO of your nature, once you can get with the gritty, fearful, whatever is like grossest about you and we're all gross in our own special ways. Mm. Like once you can really get with that and like your teacher said to you, like sit in your shit, something changes and it again it takes time but there's something that changes because i used to think my best moments were when i was looking good i really did i really was like out to look good and listen i still like looking good here and there but my happiest times come from when i'm humbled and humiliated actually my happiest times are when i can honestly say to another human or even to myself what I'm truly feeling in that moment. And oftentimes the things I'm feeling are quite shameful. Mm. So. Thank you so much. Yeah, humility is, is a whole ode in itself <laughs> to be written yeah. to humility. So what's, um, what's new? What gets you out of bed? What keeps you excited? We've talked about the past. <laughs> what's fresh? What's good in your world yet? What's coming up that's exciting you these days? Things are so good. You know, I'm, you know, I'm working on healing my... Um, relationship with food which has been like a really long much longer than I would have liked journey mm. um, so I'm working on that and oftentimes I have such incredible insights I I think it's over mm. <laughs> um, and I have been surprised to find that it is not so that gets me up in the morning the the juiciness of that uh, quest which is very different from anything I've ever been through in my life so I'm excited to if if the actual um, reveal ever occurs which it may not I'm it's pretty slippery, the food journey, isn't it? Like, it's almost yes. like when you put your finger on something, it's like it sort of moves and it's like, oh, is it your gut? Oh, no, it's like this. And it's like, is it that? It's like, oh, no, it's just stress again. And it's just stress. It's like, <laughs> wait, it's the memories with my brother. Like, oh, wow. Wait, why did I eat that burger? Oh, because of that memory from when I was eight? Like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's been exciting. I have incredible clients. I'm working with such amazing people and, you know, the turning of the leaf. So knowing that sometimes spaces open up and a new person will enter, that's always a delight for me. <laughs> and I'm creating an online course. So that will be available with the breath work. I just did some breath work with Russell Brand on his podcast. So awesome. I've been revealing more and more of my secret techniques. It's just been a treat. Yeah, beautiful. I love it. And so if people want to tune into your work, what's the best place to tune in and check in with what's going on in Beat's world? At this time, the best place is Instagram, which is at Guided by Beat. Mm -hmm. um, they can also go to my website, which has access to some free meditations and we'll have a link to my upcoming. I don't know when you're releasing this, but I do have an event happening, my first online event. End of January, right? January. Yeah. yeah. Cool. We'll try and get it out. Well in time before that, so people can actually nice. connect to that. Awesome. We'll make that happen. Cool. <laughs> yeah, Sister Bear, thank you so much for being here today. Really, really, really appreciate your time, your energy. Nay, actually, even 
all in all your presence really um just such a blessing to just have you share so raw so vulnerably so openly and uh i think it'd be remiss to sort of not acknowledge that it's not just today it's obviously a lifetime's work that you've put into to being here with us um and sharing your your story so openly so Thank you so much. And as always, wishing you all the best for the future from me and the Inspired Evolution audience. Um, and everything we've mentioned and discussed will be in the show notes, in the links um, to all the description in the comments below. Um, and yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. So good to be with you. Such a joy. Thanks for listening in to another amazing episode of the Inspired Evolution. If you're loving these episodes, make your way across to YouTube, click subscribe. Fresh episodes are launched every Monday with highlights being released throughout the week. Thank you so much. And hey guys, just so you know, a lot of love, heart, soul and work goes into these episodes. So if you could, please leave us a five-star review and comment on iTunes. I love reading your positive feedback. It fans the flames of the passion to continue to create and help you live the life that you love. Thank you so much for your wonderful feedback. I can't wait to see you again in the next episode. Big love from Amrit. And remember to stay inspired to evolve. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.